renewal. This month we're talking about renewal. It's a process, right? It's ongoing. We see it in nature as we approach fall. We see the plants and trees changing, transforming, shedding the old, getting ready for the new. Some things renew daily, some weekly, some yearly. The 17-year locust obviously takes its own time. Our own skin is constantly renewing. And so must our commitment to social justice always be renewing. As I write this, I'm just back from the march here in Columbus, organized by Surge, Standing Up for Racial Justice, which is under the new leadership of four young women. A Trump rally, actually a car train, had been organized by a group of Republican women to take place in Mill Race Park and the surge leadership thought another point of view should be presented. I'm very grateful that it didn't turn ugly and violent. It could have. Emotions were high. There was a vibe of hatred and anger that is associated, that I associate at least with racism and misogyny with xenophobia and fear of the other. And when I came home, I felt really tired. I felt the weariness that comes from facing people who don't like what I believe, what I stand for. They didn't like the sign I was carrying, which was basically a sign about peace. And I thought, this is what people of color face every day and they have since they were children. This is what parents of color worry about every day as they send their kids to school and out into the world. This is what people of color face as they enter a doctor's office or a shoe store or a hospital or a food market. It's all the time. My weariness is nothing compared to that. I have barely dipped my toe into the river of struggle and I feel fatigue. So it's like we said last Sunday, we renew again and again and again. Remember that sign that was carried by many women at the first women's march on Washington after the 2016 election? Carried by older women like me and it said, I can't believe I have to do this again. Well, it's true. You do. We do. I do. So listen to the words of Black leaders today, people like Ibram X. Kendi. Listen to the emerging voices of people of color, of marginalized people. Read the books. Listen to the podcasts. Watch the YouTubes. And renew your commitment again and again. And again. Hey you, support the black community, but this is not an opportunity to profit or boost your platform because that could confuse or misinform. Black lives is what matters right now, so research when to help and how, but don't ask a black person because they need their space. 
verify information so it's not out of place. Also, listen to the black people in your community. All that matters is the unity. Share information, but not obnoxiously. It can be rejected or taken as camaraderie. Do something and let others know so they can do it too, but also do it quietly so it won't be misconstrued. Take your words and get offline. You should be living this all the time. Double check what others are saying and don't believe everyone who wants to weigh in. Talk to people about anti-Black racism and ignore the haters and the harsh criticism, but don't just talk to people who agree and don't just do it because it's trendy. Say something, please do something, please. But don't be obnoxious so everyone sees. Don't announce it to the public, just do it and live it. But don't forget to tell people how to get involved with it. So talk, donate, share, but don't get caught up in the chatter. I'm beginning to wonder if what I support will even matter. Take a breath with me. Inhale and exhale. As you breathe in, feel your lungs filling with peace. And as you breathe out, breathe out love. Breathe in peace and breathe out love. This is hard stuff. Confronting racism, reducing harm, dismantling white supremacy, and addressing injustice in all its forms. This is hard. And so it matters that we do not take for granted the fresh air that can fill our lungs with an invitation for peace and releasing it as an outward expression of our love. Over the past few years, two realities have revealed themselves more clearly in our lives together. The first is the unmasking and sobering awareness of systemic racism and oppression in this country. It has been revealed, peeled back, this wound pretending to be a scar and ultimately named for what it is, open, wide, gaping, and excruciatingly painful for those who suffer from it. At the same time that this unmasking of white supremacy culture has occurred, another reality has become clear. UUCCI, this community, is committed to the eradication of racism and all forms of oppression that exists within and beyond our community. We have made it clear that as individuals, as a congregation, and in the wider world, we side with love. We side with love to overcome injustice in all its forms. That is what we are about. That is the difference, the impact we want to make in our lives together. But it is hard stuff. It is hard to dismantle a system in which we are so deeply entangled. We are caught. 
We are caught in this system of oppression, a system that upholds bigotry, discrimination, and inequity. But more so, it is hard to dismantle a system when for many of us, this system was set up to maintain the status quo of power and privilege, a status quo that has benefited most of us, not all, not all, but most of us in our lives. So to address this, to name this thicket in which we are caught, to dismantle it and to ultimately create something completely new and just is an existentially compromising fork in the road we find ourselves now before. But here we are. After a summer of racial injustice and months of ongoing multiracial protest for black liberation, our country is at a tipping point, a flashpoint, a boiling point of racial reckoning, of facing racism, this gaping open wound, and healing it head on. This is the fork in the road before us, and this is where it gets vulnerable. There are only two paths, only two paths, there are times when it's good to complicate things, to notice the complexities in life and about issues. But in this case, there are really only two paths for us to choose between. Down one path is the path of racism, the path of bigotry and discrimination, of inequity and death. This is a very familiar path as it has been the path we have been on for some time in this nation. Arguably, it is the path we have been on for our over 400 years on this continent. And while we would like it to be called by any other name, this is the path of racism. And then there is another path, a different path, a path that is also before us. And there is a sign at this fork in the road down this alternative path. It's really important to read the sign accurately. The sign for this alternative path does not say the non-racist path, the path of non-racism or less racism, but of anti-racism. So we have two paths, the path of racism and the path of anti-racism. And one more caveat before we make our decision, we cannot stay where we are. We cannot stay neutral. We cannot put our head in the sand or choose to disengage. Why? Because we are already on the path. We were born on this path. And if we are not careful, we will die on it as well. And so there are no skips, no passes, no sitting this one out. It is the continued path of racism or a new path of anti-racism. What will it be? Before we decide, let's talk about this word anti-racism a little more. For some of us, this word might not be in our vocabulary. Anti-racism, anti-racist. For some, the opposite of racism is presumed to be not racist. I am not racist or that something is not racism, that it is not an expression of racism. 
But in reality, as Ibram X. Kendi um, reminds us, the self-identification as a non-racist or someone who is not racist is most notably a definition of denial or a removal of one from this battle, this path that is being waged at the expense of people of color in this world. So he reframes the language beautifully and powerfully in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Have any of you read this book? This would be a great one on your list. It is at once both profoundly simple and encompassing of how the totality of our beliefs, words, actions, and policies in life that keep us either entangled in this web of racism or fighting our way out towards something better. It's a great book. Kendi points again and again toward the perpetual fork in the road, offering us again and again and again countless moments to choose the anti-racist path. He writes in his book that it is not about becoming an anti-racist or of arriving at a moment when one is henceforth and forevermore an anti-racist, but rather it is about choosing to be anti-racist in our words, actions, and relationships in life. Does that distinction make sense to you? For example, take a statement, any statement, that you or you hear someone else make regarding race. Either that statement is racist or it is anti-racist. Or in the case of public policy, either a policy creates racial inequity and thus is a racist policy, or it creates racial equity, which makes it an anti-racist policy. When we look closely at our words and actions, we can notice and name in black and white terms which path we are on in any given moment. Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves, does it, does this belief, word, action, or policy, does it promote racial equity or racial inequity? Let me tell you why I wanted to preach this morning on renewing our commitment to anti-racism at UUCCI. It's not just because renewal is our theme for September, although that is a timely coincidence. The reason I want to preach today on anti-racism is that the blood that has been spilled, the lives lost, the men, women, and children that have been buried, the tears shed, the wailing heard, the angst felt, and the paralysis that has taken hold in our wider community at the hands of racism, of racist and racist words, actions, and policies calls me to account. I must account. I must be held accountable, must testify to my complicity and participation in this racist system that is suffocating and closing in more and more, not so much on me, but of people I love and people I don't even know, people of color in this world. For a while, for years, I sort of let myself off the hook. I mean, look at me, I'm not racist. I'm not like that guy or p person over there. I am knowledgeable and experienced in critical race theory and the practice of justice making, of bridge building. I, I've lived in big diverse cities like Milwaukee and Chicago. I'm not racist. I came of age 
uh, when Obama became president. I'm a millennial. I have a master's degree. I've been to other countries and I've dated people of color. I'm not racist. There is racism over there, but I'm not a part of it. I'm not a part of it. But then something changed several years ago. My denial of being complicit in the systems of racism and oppression in our country forced me to be a more active participant in the fight against racism. Merely not adding to racism was insufficient to the effort to destroy racism. I began asking myself, how can my actions, my words, my resources be anti-racist in nature? How can they be grounded in racial equity and liberation? These were the questions that changed me and called me down this path I hope we will recommit to as a community, the path of anti-racism. So how do we renew our commitment to anti-racism? Lauren Kim offers many insights in her poem that Jan shared this morning. The first thing she says is that we must support and be in relationship with people and organizations of color. Or as the lawyer and author of Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson says, we need to get proximate. We need to get proximate. Relationships matter, but what matters more are relationships rooted in respect, honesty, and mutuality. Lauren Kim puts it this way. Hey, you, support the black community, but this is not an opportunity to profit or to boost your own platform because that could confuse or misinform. In other words, as we cultivate multiracial partnerships with individuals and organizations within and beyond UUCCI, it cannot be for self-serving, good-feeling, guilt-ridding purposes. The leveraging of our resources, our time, energy, money, must not be for transactional outcomes, but in hopes of transformational, systemic change regarding racial equity in this country and world. And of course, if we want to be in relationship, we need to continue to do our own personal work around racism, which will look very different for all of us as we have each lived different lives. This is what, why I'm so glad many of you have signed up for me and white supremacy for this book read, but it's more than that. This book read is more than a book read. It's an invitation to move down a path of anti-racism as individuals and as a congregation. And I'd get in trouble if I didn't say once more that you can still join this program, which is holding its first meeting after the service today. I really hope it will be meaningful and consequential for you and for all of us. Second, and this is somewhat related to the first, do not discredit the work of choosing an anti-racist path in life if no one beyond yourself is validating it. Or put another way, don't seek credit from beyond yourself, especially from people of color for choosing such a life. I do not want to be anti-racist because I want people of color to know that I am one of the good guys. 
I am living this commitment to anti-racism because I believe in racial equity and want to not only see black lives matter in this country, but to see black lives thrive in this country. Kim calls us to an active and humble ongoing engagement in this work and to do so as if no one is watching. She writes, say something, please do something, please. But don't be obnoxious so everyone sees. Don't announce it to the public. Just do it and live it. But don't forget to tell people how to get involved with it. Just do it. Just live it. This is hard for some of us, I think. I've noticed in the five or maybe six Unitarian Universalist congregations I have served in my life, that sometimes we overthink. Okay, oftentimes we overthink. And because of this, we sometimes experience a little paralysis by analysis. That's on your bingo sheet. I say that a lot recently. Paralysis by analysis. We get stuck because we want to get it right. We want to get it perfect. But perfection is the enemy of action and definitely the enemy of progress. And so sometimes we just need to do it and live it and grow from the experience and do better next time. Just as a side note, I am a perfectionist and it is one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture that I am most aware of that holds me back personally from this life of anti-racism and anti-oppression. Perhaps perfectionism holds you back too. I really appreciate Kim's naming of doing the work, of staying focused on the work. In our community, we have been doing the work now for some time, and we are only at the tip of the iceberg. We have offered programs and led rallies and have said Black Lives Matter for many years, but something is different this time. Perhaps it is that we are starting to see that the work is systemic in nature, that we can't naively attack the fruit of the tree, but need to address the health of the whole tree. Or perhaps it is that we are starting to see that the work is intersectional in nature, that we can't address racism without also being mindful of the ways other oppressions and social issues compound the injustice on our siblings of color and other marginalized people in this country or even one other possibility may be true at the same time. We may be increasingly aware that the work is ultimately about outcomes. And by this, I mean that the work is not doing the program, reading the book, offering the viewing of a documentary. The work is the outcome that reinforces the cyclical process of personal and collective transformation, namely, theory and practice, theory and practice, action and reflection, action and reflection. A cycle of praxis in which we are laser focused, laser focused on the measurable change, the difference we are making in this world and for whom. I too lit a candle for, of grief for the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg a couple nights ago. I too watched as social media sites filled with quotes and articles and pictures of an American icon 
one of the most common quotes I saw was that read, fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Did you see this one? Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Besides the call to fight for what you care about, I am grateful for this reminder of one of my favorite words, how. How will we fight for the things we care about? How will we fight against racism and toward an anti-racist future? How will we dismantle white supremacy culture and address the wounds of racism in this country? I pray that we do so in a way that will lead others to join us. Because that is the way the work is sustained. That is the way the work is productive and systemic. We grow the movement, not by offering a book read, but by suggesting that through this set of conversations and activities, we are all invited to renew our commitment to being anti-racist in our lives. This world needs powerful visionaries like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But do not be mistaken, the world also needs millions more who will help make visions of equity real. Icons are powerful things, but their true power come in the way they empower others to further the work. Just as with the death of the great civil rights and voting rights activist, John Lewis, RBG has shown us the work that is now ours to do. For all our leaders, we have lost this year. I will end with these words. May these words be our renewal to the work of anti-racism and love in this world. For all our heroes we have lost this year, may their memory be for blessing. May their memory be for revolution. May we become a credit to their names. May it be so, and amen.